Welcome to the Pastors Podcast. Pastor Scott here with Pastors Matt and Brian. Hey. Yeah, hey. We're here. <laughs> Take two. Take two. Take two. We we did an intro. Yeah. <laughs> Is it better that we talk about it, Brian? No. Is it better? No. I feel like it's better if we <laughs> talk was, about it. That shouldn't be bitter and we should move on. There were some pain there were some pain sounds. The banter sounds. was so bad. It was so bad. Brian determined that it was so bad. We had to stop it and start now, over. Wordlessly con- determined. Now, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, con- yeah, just gutturally with w- noises. Now, consider all that you've heard on the Pastor's Podcast, all the terrible <laughs> banter that you've listened to, hours and hours of terrible banter. Some of you might say it's happening now. And we cut this piece. You can only imagine how bad it was. I was just looking up the definition of banter. Yeah. Like, what? We use that phrase a lot. What yeah. is... Jeez. It's the playful and friendly exchange of teasing remarks. Yeah. It was playful. Oh it gosh. was friendly until Colmery turned it into something really negative. It's also so a verb. Talker people don't like banter. And, and so you look up the Merriam-Webster's <laughs> definition and read it on on the podcast. <laughs> For the record, I there's you know, we, we get feedback Do we? on the podcast yeah, from yeah. time to time. Okay. Like, not to our inbox or anything, just friends who say stuff to us. Sure. Um, and one of the things I've gotten the most feedback about was our comment that people don't like banter on podcasts because repeatedly people have wanted to make sure I knew they enjoyed this banter. Oh, man. I thought there it was going to go the other way. There have been times in the courtyard yeah. where someone didn't know I was there and the banter has not come up in as positive of a light. <laughs> See that I thought that I thought Scott's fair story was going to go a different sample size. Yeah, that's, that's true. I asked my that's wife, true. That's and true. she said she loved it. I'm just saying, if you <laughs> really want us to stop, yeah, you're going to have to tell me directly. Yeah, so that's all I'm saying, and I, I wouldn't even be offended by it. No. I just need to know. No more, no more faint praise. What we need is real people giving us real correction, and if you can imagine. That's this, the church. This intro is better than the one we did that we got rid of. So, <laughs> Brian, you're coming off of COVID. You have a – there's a – I only say that because you have a little nose thing that maybe um, maybe people will hear in the recording. So, if you hear a little a nasaliness. Like, it's like a – like a your, your nose is a little stuffed up maybe. Is that right? It doesn't feel particularly you, if you If anyone up. hears it on the podcast, <laughs> this, it might be – he might still have it. We don't know for That's sure. Right. <laughs> but a little COVID situation. Did I violate the hippo laws? <laughs> the, the hippo laws. Did you listen to my sermon when I said that? I did. Okay. I did. Yeah. I just I did to upset all the medical professionals in the in the church <laughs> by calling it hippo laws. Yeah, and that it doesn't really obviously apply to me. But anyways, we can move on. Or it's not called hippo. <laughs> it's not called hippo. It That's doesn't the, I, apply th- to me. I thought that, that yeah, was both the, of yeah. those things. <laughs> all of the above. Yeah. yeah. There are some hippo laws in Africa. But that's different. Let's get going. Did you know that hippos are one of the deadliest animals to humans on the planet? I believe they. I believe they are. Isn't that some kind of like yeah. long-standing debate? Is it was like a bear versus hippo, or it was some like weird fight? I think there's more hippos in more populated areas. Oh, you mean if they? I would mean, fight like against if they would fight each other, each other who would oh. win? Would take sides. I think those are like kids' books, right? They have like shark versus uh, tornado. Is it, is, do they do natural disaster? No, I was just thinking Sharknado. Oh, I was thinking sh- they do like books where it's like shark versus like uh, some kind of venomous snake who would win in like a battle. Mm. But 
Anyways, yeah, something like that. They have those battle yeah. books, but new hippos. Hippos, hippos kill Africa, a lot of humans. Hippos yep. kill a lot of humans, and they're fast. Man, yeah. they're fast. Look, wait, they sneaky. They fast. get this like image of slow and meandering and just kind of eating plants, but they they kill more humans than like tigers, lions, anything else. I have very little knowledge of hippos. Yeah, I can't speak authoritatively. I just know they're fast. Which isn't the topic. No. And there might be laws. Speaking of hippos yes. and laws, the topic for today is one of our core values. In our series. How did that work? Okay, so, so we're doing a series, a podcast series on our core values. Every, what are we saying? About five to six months, we're covering a core value. Usually speaking of hippos, we're talking about our core values. <laughs> yeah. All yeah. Right. I'm just going to make it. Just going to make it work. Smooth like butter work. out there. Hey, sometimes, you know, these are the things that in a sermon you, you, you have the week to work on. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when you don't have a week to work on it, you just don't have it. Don't so, have it. So you just, you just turn. You just yank the, yank the steering wheel. Yeah. You're yanking it. Go. Let's go. So over the course of the podcast, we've talked about our core values a few times. Mm-hmm. We've almost covered all of them at this point. You can go back. I'll, I'll, at some point, I'll, I'll look up and figure out how many of these we've this covered. This should be five of six if we're I mean, not this mistaken. Is five of six. So our core values, though, for those that are new or haven't heard before, are our way of explaining the things most important to us and really the, the unique ethos of Cornerstone Church. Um, our statement of faith is the f- theological foundation, but really it's, it's, it's a, our core values are a description of essentially our, uh, the priorities of our ecclesiology. Well, that, that our philosophy of ministry in a sense. Um, and our core values are one gospel centered two people-oriented, three, theologically engaged, which we're going to talk about today, four, collaboratively structured. Oof. The most poorly named one. Well, you know. It's a, it's a, a mouthful. Collaboratively structured. Five is uh, intentionally unified, and six is globally and locally invested. I, I just wanted to do it to see if I could. Um, I'm feeling pretty proud of myself. Crowd goes So wild. today we're going to be talking They're about... cheering from the parking lot. Appreciate that. So today we're going to talk about the core value that is theologically engaged, which is probably the least known core value. If people are to say, hey, we're gospel centered, they'd be like, oh, okay, I know know what that means. If we're collaboratively structured, they're like, oh my gosh, this is like unique plurality. Like, of course I see that. We're, you know, um, uh, intentionally unified that we talk about all the time. But theologically engaged, be like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess theology is important. But there's a reason why this is one of our core values, and particularly it's a core value that we are striving to strengthen and focus on during this season. So, Brian, can you define for us what we mean by theologically Don't engaged? Don't we have a tagline, too, underneath it? We do. Oh. Did you mention that? I haven't yet. Oh, okay. Go ahead, Brian. I was going to let you Brian, the if he knew it, if he remembers yeah. it. <laughs> he wrote it. He wrote them all. Yeah, I mean, so the uh, theologically engaged and the, like a lot of these have taglines, um, uh, but uh, it's fluent in the Bible and fluent in culture. That's the tagline. Fluent in the Bible, comma, fluent in culture, which is essentially what, when we say theologically engaged, um, what we mean is that we want to be a kind of community that engages theology kind of at, a, at, a, at a deep level, um, which is to say that 
we want to think about God and all things in relation to God. Um, we want to engage in that kind of reflection as scripture leads us to do. And then we want to go um, engage everything else, like engage the world theologically. So we want to basically engage theology so we can engage the world theologically. Um, and in that way, like you're fluent in the Bible, you want to be have a kind of breadth and depth and awareness and fluency, like in a language terminology, um, means you, you have it in you. Um, you know how to speak it. You, you don't just know a set of vocabulary words that you can kind of trot out here and there. You, you have the ability to form sentences and to kind of inhabit this language when that's what the Bible really ought to be. It's not just kind of a list of things you memorize. It's something you inhabit. It's something that you let inhabit you. It's God's word that stands over and gets inside of you. And then uh, you are able to then go engage the world, to go engage Los Angeles, to engage your neighbors, to engage your coworkers, um, from individuals to, you know, uh, whole groups of people. You engage life um, theologically with that language in you. And so you're able to bring those things into contact with each other. And so that, you know, there's a way that that's a decent summary. Basically, you're fluent in the Bible, you're fluent in culture, and you bring those things together as a way of engaging, you know, the world and engaging God. He's saying that um, there's multiple metaphors going on there. So you have the fluency metaphor. And mm -hmm. then, like, why do you think, why do the word engaged? Like, why, like, why is that the word that we chose? I think it's, well, partially because we had to find a lot of verbs um, <laughs> for <laughs> that are all different. We had to find six different verbs. Participles. I mean, so you could say orient. You know, there's a way you could swap all these out. But I think engaged worked because it has a sense of action to it. Um, and engagement also has a kind of a sense of relationship to it. So when you engage something, it, it's two things coming together. You know, you, you are engaging something else. And that's why I kind of like the dual sense of theologically engaged in that on the one hand, you're engaging God through his word and coming to know God and all things in relation to God. Like you're, you're engaging theology, but that has kind of a, a purpose to it, which is that you can then knowing God, having engaged theology can then go engage the world in your relationship with the world. And this kind of active engagement you have day to day in Los Angeles, you can engage that theologically. You can have the language of God in you as you go engage the world. And you can begin, I think the engagement helps too, in that you can see how the way that um, you're able to engage the world theologically means you have to know both scripture and you have to know the world you're in. There's a way in which you want to be fluent in the Bible and fluent in the culture around you. Fluent in the, and by culture, it's a big, you know, it's a, a, obviously a giant word, but that can mean anything from, you know, the differences between, I don't know, uh, Silicon Beach and the Pacific Palisades. You know, like there's a kind of sense like those are different places that have different kind of ways of being and different kinds of people in them a lot of the time. And, you know, how are those things different from one another? It sets, sets of values, you know, sets of uh, goals and directions and uh, all those kind of things. Or just different individuals. You have different kinds of people who live in these places. So this giant big mess of human beings interacting with one another and, you know, grouping up to create these values and systems that sometimes aren't always perfectly coherent in places like West Los Angeles, you learn that, you become fluent in that so that you can bring the Bible to bear on it. Mm -hmm. And so to be theologically engaged, it runs both directions. Uh, since Scott did a dictionary definition earlier, uh -huh. was that that was on this recording, right? It was. It was. Yeah. Uh, not the thrown away one. Not the, 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 the one, the keeper. The, uh, the word engage, according to the dictionary, Brian, means... Um, to uh, commit to be married. 
<laughs> That's true. There's five definitions. But I just wanted to anticipate the joke. You know, sometimes it's every once in a while I can it, get in front of it. It's actually not a joke. I was actually going to say, I think he might actually be making oh, okay. a point. Okay. I yeah. think it's like, it's, it's a good definition. Occupy, attract, or involve someone's interest or attention. So it's like That's pretty it good. occupies yeah. and attracts your attention and investment. So I like the way that you put it. That's that. good. Mm-hmm. So and it means to get married. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, my fault. Gotcha. <laughs> oh man, you should have seen your face, guys. You should have seen your. You should have seen his face. Oh my gosh. People in the parking lot saw. So, oh, one, one of the one of the purposes for these core values, one of the ways we use them, is to give a vocabulary to the ethos of the church. Right. It, hopefully, when people hear them, they. They say, oh, yeah, I've seen that. I've experienced that. One of the other purposes of these core values and naming them this way is for us as elders and really us as an entire church to evaluate along the way how we're doing, where growth is needed, how we can continue to grow in these areas and strive in these areas. Um, this is one that we've talked about as leadership, as eldership, as staff, um, wanting to grow deeper in in the coming seasons um how would you describe brian where you feel like we are as a church and what opportunities for growth we have ahead well you know on the one hand i think uh a lot of people hearing this won't be surprised at that this is one of our core values i don't think i think most people would because uh there are uh, maybe certain places or certain churches um, where the sermons and the teaching and kind of the content that's given, the equipping, however they call it, is very much a sort of like, well, here's this Bible verse, and so go like obey that verse, um, which is nothing necessarily wrong with that. I, I think that that's that's actually has a lot of merit to it, to the fact that this is God's word and you should do what God's word says, and that's really good. But I think that when you come to Cornerstone, you've been there for here for some length of time, you you begin to see like we're always trying to get kind of underneath and around and and uh, one of the definitions of theology historically has been thinking God's thoughts after him, which is not like, okay, now I, I heard it. I know what the words mean. Now I can move on. It's like, no, I really want to understand why God said this. You know, uh, how can I understand more deeply the richness of what he says in this verse and how this verse connects to all the other verses and and what it means about who God is and how I can live in light of that. So there's a way that we're always kind of doing that. And I think that that's really familiar to people. And we're ideally doing that in a way that connects those things to the lives we live and the world around us. So there's a kind of engagement that we're kind of I think we're constantly trying to to promote um, and model both in, I mean, sermons are an easy way to see that because it's one of the few places you really get into detail on things. But I think it happens in community groups. I think it happens in conversation. I think it happens a, a lot of times at Cornerstone where we're a community that tends not to be very friendly towards uh, being overly simplistic about stuff. We really just want to try and think well and, and not just so we can be academic, but so we can care, you know, so we can really see reality the way it is and be able to live accordingly. Um, and there's an inconvenience there, but I think we embrace that inconvenience for the sake of truth and love. Um, it can be harder to do it that way. It's easier just to kind of label things and move on. But I, I, So ideally, there's a way that this is just really familiar. Like, yeah, of course, same with gospel Senate. Yeah, I hear the gospel all the time. Yeah, that makes sense. We're theologically engaged. Wouldn't have put it that way, but mm-hmm. now that you say it and explain it, that's totally what we do. Um, 
And at the same time, I do think there's a ton of opportunity for growth that isn't necessarily uh, cornerstone specific in that I don't look at cornerstone and think, oh, wow, we've really done a poor job of this. Mm. You know, and we as a community are really doing a bad job. That's not that kind of growth. I think it's the kind of growth that comes um, when you when you've moved uh, when you've grown a certain amount and there's kind of a season of fruitfulness that's about to happen if you put something in the right conditions. You know, the organic metaphors are easy. You think of a tree, you know, it, it takes a lot for it to grow in the beginning, you know, and you're not, it's not bearing a lot of fruit, but there, you know, then winter comes then spring comes. And if, you, if you've really taken care of that tree and you really kind of uh, give it the water and the sunshine and the care and the nutrients it needs, it's going to produce a lot of fruit and it's gonna, you're going to see it. It's gonna, there's going to be a season of growth that happens. Um, and I, that's kind of where I feel like Cornerstone's at. I feel like we're in a place where we can, we're really prone to begin to uh, add the necessary things, add the nutrients, like, like to move in that direction and see a kind of beauty of growth that happens uh, pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot more there. Do you want to stop or keep going? Uh, so stop there for now. Because okay. uh, I, I want to ask you, Matt, why is the idea of, us as a church family growing in depth in how we are in theologically engaged. What, why is that compelling to you? I think the thing that is most compelling about this core value and, and what it looks like and everything that you're saying, Brian, to me is uh, I love that the way we've defined this is being fluent in scripture, theology, understanding who God is, and in our culture, how that applies to, to life, because the reality is, is we need theology for everyday life. And God designed theology to touch down in the lives of people. So I think what is most compelling to me about this entire core value is sometimes the idea of theology can be this academic exercise, right? It can be memorizing these weird words and thinking like obscure thoughts about abstract things that have no connection to anything at all. And I think what we're saying about being theologically engaged that is really compelling to me from a pastoral perspective is people need to know God and they need to know how knowing God impacts everything in their life. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to say um, knowing God is not some random abstract academic exercise. It is a relational connection with the God of the universe as he reveals himself to us so that we know how to live our life in this world in a way that honors and gives him uh, praise and glory. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what, to me, that is the thing that is most compelling about it. And I love, I think I love Brian's vision for this, for the church in that um, I think y- you're constantly thinking and, and we're constantly trying to think about not just uh, theological truths, but the way that that touches down, that's why I, I love, you know, I, I, when you say, uh, where is this showing up in our church? And you're saying, well, community groups. It's like, well, not because we're sitting around talking about um, random theological things. It's because we're sitting around talking about scripture and God's truth and how that touches down in people's lives. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, it, I guess some churches, maybe it's easy to get distracted where you focus only on people's lives, but you don't really try to connect theological truth to that. And so you're talking with people, but you don't really have any teeth or any like power or strength to speak into that um then other people get focused on academic theology and that's their main focus i think what we're trying to do is connect the two in a way that i think scripture does and that god would have us do and that's what's really compelling about it to me yeah no i i really resonate with that because i the the phrase that came to my mind and why i love the the phrase theologically engaged is because i think that churches that are theologically minded 
can tend to simply become theologically informed, which is different than what we're saying about being theologically engaged. Like by, by theologically informed, I mean that you, you have the right answers, right? You think theologically, you like thinking about, you know, truths and you've read the books. Yep, exactly. And, um, and not only is it a journey of applying that to your own heart and life, but it's also thinking holistically about how that truth touches down in our broader world and in our culture, in the ways that we inhabit this, this world and this culture in this moment. And it also highlights to me the importance and centrality of the local church. This is why local churches exist. Because you can't just write something somewhere and have it completely speak or communicate well to everywhere for all time. Um, everything's contextualized. And so what our job is, as people who inhabit this place at this time, is to take this eternal theological truth and contextualize it, communicate it, understand it in the vocabulary uh, and and apply it in the vocabulary of our current moment understanding the worldview that we're that we're inhabiting and, th and that's not an excuse for and I think sometimes people might hear that and think oh well then maybe they're doing theology in a shallow way like just a superficial kind of theology and then focusing on application I mm. think I don't think that's what we're saying no. I think we want people to think deeply and read deeply and wrestle with deep, complicated truths, but also draw those lines and those connections to what that means for their life. Yeah. And I think that's true um, for us at our heart as your pastors, but also I think that's true for anyone in our church community who's been sort of equipped in this way to think about theology that way. Yeah. Okay, so I, I, I do have a follow-up question for you, Brian, because one of the things that, it's actually that exact same point that both of you have strengthened and challenged me over the years and particularly over the recent years um, I've been really blessed by I mean people don't have to know me very long to know that but my passion is essentially applied theology right like I love talking about how these how truths touch down in individuals lives and, and like that. yeah Scott is like the folksy you know simple pastor <laughs> and Brian's like the nerdy <laughs> professor you know buttoned up shirts and doesn't move around when he preaches you know like that those are the different things that's like the character who are characters. you who am I I'm just like the perfect everything <laughs> <laughs> the humble guy I guess you would say <laughs> yeah. honestly both of you pastor. discipled me for 17 years so what am I supposed to say I'm a little bit of both of you I'm the best parts of both Brian and Scott that's how I feel and I'm I kidding I said I, that to him once <laughs> It stuck. <laughs> <laughs> but so, I, I mean, I, I actually have, even coming out of seminary, have a, had a natural um, resistance to theological truth that I didn't see how it directly applied, like, immediately. The old joke is, like, how many angels dance on the head of a pen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why I even think about these things? I'm like, I just, my, my eyes roll back in, the, in my head and I just I glaze over um, but not that question, but both of you have a passion and love for the deep things of God that meditating on and understanding him more deeply 
shapes us in ways that you don't just take out and apply 30 seconds later, but that are transformative to our souls as we come to understand God and the world more deeply. Um, and I'd love for you both to speak a little bit to why, why that's important, because I've come to appreciate it a lot more serving alongside and learning from both of you. So, okay, on, on the one hand, I just want to qualify off the bat. Like, there are some people who are going to listen to this, and they're part of our church community, mm-hmm. and they're going to have about 120 seconds, you know, like five to 10 minutes of what feels like spare time every day. Yeah. You know, like, and so, so there, there's a way that you too can be theologically engaged. So like, like just, just to kind of throw off the bat, like the, you know, the, you two, you listener yes. as well, the, yeah, not you, not us. the two of us. Yes. You're saying, not Hey, you Scott, two. Matt, you guys can actually do this. Not the band. Yeah. No, no, no. So I, yeah, I just want to qualify and we can talk about more about how that's true later. I think, but, but as I, as I talk, I think you'll, you'll kind of see it a little more. Um, there's so many different ways to talk about this. At least one is. Uh, you to talk about um, theology as something that is uh, needs to be applied is to misunderstand what theology is. So it's not like there's these buckets and one of them is like the theology knowledge bucket and the other is like the life activity bucket. And, and if something doesn't can't go from one to the other, just throw it out. Yeah. Um, the way that God made the world is a kind of organic whole. Uh, and so y- to know more of, of God is to know more about God in many ways. Like to know more about God is a means of knowing more of, of God and knowing him more. And knowing him more is a way of understanding who he is and therefore the world he's made and who you are. And knowing who you are in the world that he's made is a way of living in the world more in line with those truths about reality, like baseline fundamental reality. You can't like split that up and go, well, here's one half and here's the other half. That's all of a piece. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the the problem I think historically, like recently historically has been that people have thought of theology, not as something you do, but as something, you know, Mm. Um, theology is a set of facts about God. Um, And that a lot of our theology books that have been written in the last, you know, hundred or 200 years, have felt that way. It's like here, mm, it, they yeah. felt like the back of the math book where all the answers are. Hmm. So once you know all the answers, then you're done. You know your theology. And sometimes they're, to be fair, they're taught that way. Oh, for sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- th- there's a reason why the books are written that way. You know, like it's it's, and so when when that's how you think about theology as a sort of set of ideas that you should that you should know, and once you know how to say them the right way, you're done. Then there, there is a very natural question that says, okay, so now that I know these ideas, a few of them don't seem like they matter. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> so why should I care about that? Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's just like a fundamentally wrong way of understanding. Yeah. Like if theology is, the, is thinking God's thoughts after him, is, is the pursuit of the knowledge of God, is, is not just facts, but an acquaintance and fluency in reality. Um, you can quick, the whole thing kind of falls apart, this kind of duality. And so I, I think for me, um, to try and nutshell it at this point, the process, if you read the old books, the process of thinking about things like the Trinity 
um, which for most people doesn't have a lot of practical bearing right off the bat. Um, and the, the best we've given them usually is, but it's important because that's what God's like. Or at least have a couple friends with you. Like at least don't be by your, you know, have, have a, be in a group the of practical three. application. Yeah, 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 yeah. Try and <laughs> rule of threes. It's like always have three things in your always list. Always have two buddies with you everywhere you go. Always have three points to your sermon. <laughs> but yeah, there's a kind of Oh, like, three points to the sermon. Now, hey, I've seen threes everywhere. <laughs> there's triangles. Clovers all over the place. <laughs> what happens is, you, and people get guilted. So they kind of, it's like, oh, well, I guess you don't care about God then. You're like, or, or, and so it just becomes this thing. It's like, well, I guess you're supposed to know this because God, that's what God's like. So you should know it, but it doesn't make, make any practical difference to your life because frankly, God's still God. You're, you know, you still believe in Jesus, yada, yada, yada. To the point where I saw this morning, actually, um, the, the, I mean, who knows how this study was done, but there was this kind of study done where, uh, the average evangelical self Self, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Self-identified. Self-identified. Um, compared to the average American. So, so like, we're not, the bar is not high. Um, at more self-identified evangelicals believe that Jesus was the first thing God created than the average American. Mm. <laughs> that's not great. And, and, and the reason why that's not great is important to explain. Because on the one hand, a lot of people go like, oh, well, because you got the answer wrong. No, that's not why it's not, it's not the problem. The problem is you got the answer on. The problem is if you want to understand, not understand, if you want to contemplate God, if you want to be acquainted with the God who's there, who's real, who, who has invaded your life in Jesus Christ, then you're going to be interacting with a God who's Father, Son, and Spirit. And you should care. <laughs> and, and you should be, you should enjoy thinking about that. Like, like there's so, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, there were Christians who would sit around and go, how, how does this work? Not to try and figure it out and get it in a box, but to go, how do you not stare at God at ultimate reality and look at what he's revealed in scripture and go, man, what, 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 what of this mystery can I see? What can I grab a hold of? How can I think God's thoughts after him? What does it mean? What does Jesus mean? Who is he? This, this Lord and Savior that I have, like what, what is his relationship to God the Father? And what in the world is the Holy Spirit? Who is that? And how do they relate to each other? And how are they one God? And like, why would you not look at that and care about that and dwell on that in a way that's about not getting the, the answer right, but about catching yourself up into a world that you don't normally inhabit? Hmm. And then having that world be inside of you more as you step out into the world you do inhabit. Hmm. I, I, and I think this is so important because we've, we talked about how it can be, you know, the theology can be viewed as thinking what you think rather than what you do on that, on that one side, maybe a more academic side. And then on the other practical side where like churches that emphasize practical application, practical application, they might hear you say that and be like, okay, so, okay, so there's a Trinity, uh, you know, uh, there's a mystery, yada, yada. But what about my Tuesday morning at 8 a.m.? Right. And what happens in those churches oftentimes I think is there's a tendency, and I'm not trying to like, you know, disparage churches. I'm just saying what happens in, in, in those spaces is um, there can be, a tendency to lean on like cliches or like superficial kinds of theology mm. and say, um, you know, like you, you end up with these very simple superficial 
a, a very threadbare thinking that you jump to application on. And so he's like, it doesn't even, why does it even matter that, you know, oh, sure, Jesus is created, he's not created, what difference does it make? I'm trying to figure out, you know, how to do good at my job and how to make more money, yada, yada, whatever it is, right? Some practical implication of life. And I think there's sometimes this, like, distinction. And what you're describing is, like, a kind of relationship where who God is, what he's like, his nature, everything about him, like, matters in such a fundamental way to who we are that it changes everything and how we live. I think it's just such a beautiful picture of um, avoiding two common errors when it comes to theology that uh, it just speaks such hope and joy and meaning into my life as you even speak about it. I love it. Yeah, I think that those errors share a common assumption, which is that you can kind of bracket things out and that what's important in life is knowledge and action. Um, And they just pick different ones. Um, you know, and the truth, the truth is, I think, and this is where a lot of this conversation gets underneath like a whole lot of other stuff. I think the truth of the matter is that the way that we flourish in the world as human beings, the way that we, uh, grow and obey and live and, and the way we exist is through formation, not knowledge acquisition or right practice. Hmm. Um, and those are involved in formation, but you don't just pick one and go, I, I did it. Um, and so when someone says, oh, how is this practical? That, that means how can I directly go do it? How can I directly go enact it? And that's not how human beings, that's not what we are. Hmm. We aren't people that just, we, we don't make widgets. Like holiness and obedience and even human flourishing is not a product of a process. It, it, we're formed at, you know, it's just, and we have such a hard time thinking that way but the reason I think maybe that's probably the best answer to your original question Scott is the reason why it's important to ideally if you have the capacity and in as much as you have the capacity to think deeply without oversimplifying things about stuff that doesn't seem immediately relevant to you uh, about, about God in a way that isn't like oh if I think this way then it'll fix this problem over here to actually just stare at God and think about his thoughts after him and wonder what in the world reality is actually like and just stare at it with people who've done, walked that road, who've looked at scripture and, and, you know, why be theologically engaged is because that's how you get formed. Yeah. We become like what we stare at. Yeah. And so if you want to stare at production, you're going to become someone whose entire life looks like a product. And, and that's not what we want. I think that's not what flourishing looks like. And, yeah. and I think there's something maybe um, as you're talking, I'm, I'm thinking about this idea of, separating you know knowing and and doing or whatever this there's a kind of functional atheism in both of them Hmm. that says okay um on the one side god is you know i can memorize a bunch of facts about god or whatever but that there's no relational connection there and then on the other side it's um it's almost like god is a mythical uh creature that i pull out some um some helpful tips from and then uh, let it impact my life. Um, and both of those in, in many ways, and maybe this is, you know, I see this struggle in my own life, this kind of functional atheism that says, sure, I believe in God in my mind, in my heart, but like my everyday sometimes looks like I don't even live like God exists. Mm. Um, and there's something so, I think, w- what I find so compelling about this is this is what it looks like to do theology, to live theology, with a God who is real. Yeah. And I think that is how 
Like, if God is real, if there actually is a God, this is what it looks like to relate to him. And I think that is what's most compelling in my mind as I just like just wrestle with it and, and mull it over in my head. So, mm. yeah. And to me, I think that's why it is so rich um, to be to, to not not just do that kind of theology, but to be in a community that is wrestling through God and theology in that way. My, my hope is that as people hear you describe that, uh, they it's familiar right you're describing it and they're they're like oh oh yeah that that is what we do that that is how i've learned to think that is how i i want to wrestle through things more and more and and at the same time hopefully makes an explicit case for why theology doing theology thinking uh, more deeply even just taking the time to ask hard questions you don't know the answer to or you don't have an answer to why that is so worth it not because you'll you can find the right answer and give it to someone but because through the searching and through the identification of the answers we are formed um, more and more into the image of God we are learning about um, okay but before we go though we talked about we're just getting started what I know I know before I know. we go I Brian's got like 30 more hours of content <laughs> <laughs> this is part one of 30 <laughs> We describe... He, he mentioned the Trinity. I mean, he could go on uh, about the Trinity forever. Uh, so In three parts. <laughs> That's why I'm trying to steer each. here. That's right. <laughs> ten, ten hours each. And it's not like three parts, like Father, Son, no, Spirit. No, no, no. no, 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 no that'd no. be too easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Father, Son, Spirit this way. Father, Son, Spirit this way. Ice cube. Egg. Mm. All these reductionistic <laughs> All, all these reductionistic illustrations. illustrations. All right, so, but... When we talk about theologically engaged, we mentioned at the beginning that the tagline we use is fluent in the Bible, right? That we, and this, this is why I love that word fluent, right? So it's not just, I don't just know the Bible, but I'm, flu I'm fluent in its language and how it speaks and why it speaks the way it does about the things it speaks about. But we also talked about being fluent in culture. And that's, I think we mean something different than that than just able to apply the Bible to our lives, like there is a understanding of our context inherent in doing good theology in a historical place in a historical moment. I'd love for you to speak to that a little bit, Brian. And, and what do we mean or why is it important that we're, in addition to being fluent in the Bible, that we're also fluent in our culture? I think he's asking what TV shows should we watch? <laughs> is that right? Make did sure I, your references all land. Did I hear that correctly? I'm just That's making right. sure. I think uh, so. In one sense, um, you can't be fluent in the Bible and not be fluent in culture, um, because fluency in Scripture demands a kind of awareness. I mean, just simply loving your neighbor as yourself. I mean, you, this is Scott's book. Like, there's a way in which a, a part of the paradigm that he he puts in the book, loving. Messy. Messy people. There it is. For sale now in the resource library. Yeah, I mean, actually, <laughs> uh, given given inflation, I would get it at the current price because it is a steal. <laughs> reprint those barcodes. <laughs> <and> <laughs> I'm not sure the price has gone up. That's great. That's, That's what I'm news. saying. Yeah. 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 Me. I didn't yeah. think about that. Yeah. Keeping it go. down. The price hasn't gone up. That's it's, right. You know. One one thing. Yeah. But so if you're going to love your neighbors yourself, you're, you're going to – it demands a kind of considering – 
a, a kind of uh, in, in engagement, um, a way of trying to understand them, not simply so that you can be better at telling them about Jesus, though, of course, that's involved, but because love demands the knowing of a person. Um, and not knowing of them at the bare minimum, but knowing of them, at a, it's a maximalist kind of thing. Love is always maximalist. Um, it, it, it's orienting you towards something really big. Um, you're, it's never a bare minimum kind of thing, a, le- a lowest common denominator approach to human beings. And so just by virtue of reading scripture and being fluent in, in scripture, if Jesus says, you know, th- that the whole, the law and the prophets all hang on these two commandments of loving God and loving people, then theology and in that sense, culture, if you want to take it that broadly, are immediate things you got to be fluent in just to do that. So that's that's one thing. Um, another thing is that when you when you understand, I, I, I gotta stop saying understand. When you uh, engage theology at a deep level, where you're saying not deep level because you read big words, but because you're you're thinking about things and caring about them as they really are, and not as a, a quick, easy, you know label and then run um when you do that you begin to see that the world really is uh, a remarkably unified place in one sense because it all comes from god um and it all coheres in god and in another sense it's just incredibly complicated um because you as you is yourself as you engage yourself um in light of the knowledge of god and john calvin has a famous kind of which it doesn't start with him but like knowing god means you know yourself more and oddly enough knowing yourself then leads you to further knowledge of God, and it kind of goes back and forth like that. The beginning of the Institutes, it's like the whole first section of, like, yeah, it's, which do you start with? It's a pretty amazing, yeah. it's a pretty amazing few pages. Um, and in that way, as you come to know God more, you know yourself better. As you know yourself better, you begin to be plumb your depths uh, more thoroughly. You, you appreciate uh, the fact that you can't really do it all the way down. Everything becomes more complicated, and you give more grace. Everything's richer. The colors are all brighter. And so you take that out into the world and it is impossible for you not to begin to appreciate the people around you, the world around you with that same level of richness and depth and complexity. Um, And in doing so, you're better equipped to love your neighbor as yourself. And thereby, you're better able to engage the world theologically because everything you're looking at, you're seeing the theology that undergirds it. You're seeing the, the God and all things in relation to God. You're seeing all things in relation to the God that you're knowing more of and have contemplated more, and you're able to then interact with them that way. So it's, it's really not an instrumentalizing kind of thing. You're not objectifying anybody or trying to like score some cheap points about how Christianity can, can fix this awful culture. It really is a kind of engagement with the world God made and the fallen people in it and the fallen kind of values and things that crop up that also still have bright spots in it by common grace like it's an engagement fully with the world around you in a way that uh, you know we can spin off in a lot of ways here but the information overload the constant hot takes of the internet and news and everything else can make it so difficult um, and can feel overwhelming sometimes good theological reflection and engagement is a way of being able to step out into the world and see it as it is and not through the lens of controversies and hot takes and everything else without sacrificing the complexity. In fact, with seeing even more of it and yet seeing it with a, a, a more resonance and richness than you did before. There, there can be a tendency, I think, amongst um, people who take the Bible seriously to, uh, uh, to hear the way that Scripture talks about the world and to immediately recoil from 
so-called non-Christian culture. And I would also argue in America over the last hundred years, especially, there has been a tendency to retreat into parallel kinds of subcultures, Christian subcultures in some ways that try to continue to keep ourselves distinct in ways that maybe scripture doesn't command us to. And so there's this um, posture, and I think what you're, what you're describing is really helpful, uh, um, Brian, because um, I, I looked up culture again, because how does this define? Because <laughs> we're doing a theology, but it says it's an umbrella term which encompasses the social behavior, institutions, and norms found in human societies, as well as the knowledge, beliefs, arts, laws, customs, capabilities, habits of individuals in these groups. So you have this kind of like um, appreciation for and recognition of and a desire to know and love um and there's distinction that we're called to have from the world and so that's why even like the idea of fluent in culture might feel odd to people it's like does that mean i just like do whatever the world does and you know it doesn't matter what i do no that's not what we mean by that of course what we mean is understanding seeing it in a way that is um beyond the hot takes beyond the headlines beyond the the whatever political discourse that oftentimes guides some of those things um, and seeing people as people and seeing desire and beauty and art and all the other things that make people people seeing God in those things, common grace, the image of God, all these things that are there seeing brokenness through a, a, a biblical theological lens, seeing redemption and beauty, all those other things that are part of our society as a whole, as a way to um, take what we know is true and understand our world and the people around us in a way that is loving and helpful to them. Well, and cultural fluency does not prescribe a particular posture towards culture either. I mean, it, it, in one sense, like, there, there are going to be negative things about any given culture. Um, there are going to be positive things. It, 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 simply saying we want to be culturally fluent doesn't mean, well, yeah, because our culture is awesome in every way. Right. It, it simply means, I mean, it, just to be naive as serpent, uh, or, yeah, naive as uh, doves, and uh, what is it? I don't know. It's in the Bible? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Innocent as doves. Innocent as doves. And uh, what is the serpent one? Is crap not crafty. 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 Is it crafty? Which is like an interesting term. Oh sounds come right. on! I sounds have... right. Three pastors. Wise. Three wise, pastor... at, wise. Wise as, as serpent. Think it's wise. Crafty is from Genesis. That's three. what I was yeah, thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wise as serpent. If you want to be wise as serpents, innocent <laughs> as doves, in a given culture, you have to know it. Yeah. Um. And so there's a way in which I just want to be be clear. This isn't the kind of like full-throated everything in a given culture is wonderful and it'll never go wrong and it's gonna be great for christians and no i mean you know there's ways to to go overboard in a bunch of directions with culture but to be fluent in culture means to know it so that you can be wise in it and there's and we're getting into you know 2000s controversies here of contextualization but there's a sense of like um, some churches, their approach to this can be like, and, and again, I, I draw these distinctions just to be provide some helpful sense of where we're aiming. Um, some churches can be completely separate from the world and don't have any connection at all. Don't have any, don't, you know, you have to watch only Christian movies and o- only Christian TV and only Christian and Like you completely separate yourself off. And then others have a posture of contextualization that says you need to speak in their language. We need to understand, we need to live like the world to be really understand it. And you're describing something different that says like, no, you have to understand it and you have to get underneath it and you have to think deeply about it. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that every, every kind of speaking in a language of the world is uh, capitulation towards it. There's a kind of 
um, confrontation that's necessary at times. There's a kind of distinction, but you still can understand it on its own terms. Well, and part of the 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 need for fluency in culture is that quickly. Uh, no, quickly. We said ten hours. But Scott's like ready to push pause on the podcast. Truth doesn't change. Cut it into two. Part right. Two. So so truth doesn't change, but theology does. And people are really uncomfortable with that statement. But the reason it's true is if if you think about it, for the first. I don't know, 15, 16, 1700 years of Christian theology. If you got a, a theology book, you would find nothing on gender. There wouldn't even be a chapter. Yeah. Wouldn't even come up. Because it wasn't something people were thinking about back then. So they didn't ever, they weren't ever pressed to come with a a Christian articulation of sex and gender. Whereas if you read a book in the last 100 years, it is there's huge chapters, a whole books written on just that subject. Which it doesn't mean that truth has changed, but it means that the way we've done theology has adjusted to fit the culture that we're in and the answers that people need, both Christians and non-Christians. So there's a way that um, you, you have to be culturally fluent to know how to help, you know, how, how, to, how to be loving and kind, how to not just speak things that uh, mattered to the times that existed a long time ago. But also that matter now and how to articulate universal things and, and take things like take, take, take scripture and apply it in these ways that seem to be appropriate. Um, I would say that good theological reflection has a lot to say about who we are as man and woman. Um, just because that didn't come up for a, a bunch of years the way it does now doesn't mean we should avoid it. If anything, it means we should go to scripture and enjoy that kind of reflection and bring the good news that scripture has to bear on that topic. It's a beautiful thing to be so culturally fluent that you're able to then go to scripture and go to theology and say, how can we articulate this now? Which is the beauty of the fluency metaphor is that when you are given 30 phrases in a different language, you can get around as long as those phrases are the ones you need. But the minute you are in a situation where you need a different phrase, you need fluency. Um, when it's not, you know, wh- where's the bathroom? You know, like, like all these kind of conversational things that you learn. Duolingo. Yeah, when it's Duolingo not that. theology. And, and the doing theology, being fluent in, in the Bible, is being able to take Scripture and having, it, having yourself so saturated with it that when you encounter things that you haven't been given a phrase for um, in the world and in life and in, in the culture around you, in your own heart, you're able to then speak theology to it. Because it's so internalized. Yeah. It's in you, like you said. Mm. And in that way, these are not uh, symmetrical fluencies. Yeah, I was, gonna, mm. I was, I was thinking about mm. that as we said yeah, it earlier. Yeah. I was like, I mean, we, don't, we, don't mean, we mean fluent in theology, fluent in scripture in a different way that, than we mean just, fluent in the culture. Th- they're fluent in, in one, yeah, th- that's accurate. They're fluent in, they're, bo- they're both kinds of fluency. The issue is that biblical fluency is meant to be deeper and more authoritative. It's yeah. meant to be your, the way you understand reality. Whereas cultural fluency is meant to be the way you understand the, the things around you that assert themselves. Yeah. The biblical way fluency is your heart language. Is that oh, fair? That, yeah. That's, that's what we're going for. To push yeah. the metaphor yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. To, a, to its extremes. <laughs> it's, your, it's your heart language. It yeah. should be your heart language. Yeah, the, mo- right. the one the most inherent in you. But you also need a, another kind of fluency that God calls you to. Yeah. All right. That's really good. There's a lot of thoughts. I yeah, and it's a I'm sh- I for one am shocked. No no no. no. 
I, I, and actually I love it because it's conversations like this. There's not a simple um, curriculum that you lay out to imbibe the importance of knowing God and theological fluency. It comes through all sorts of different ways. It comes through engaging God in his word, it comes through prayer, it comes through community. It comes through having conversations like this. So as we wrap up, I, I want to, I do want to step from there though, to, from those thoughts to, let, let's start with the person in our church as pastors, the person in our church who feels like they have maybe five free minutes a day, but wants to grow in their theological engagement. Um, I, I think for a lot of us, if we, if we can't, read Bavink, we're like, well, I may as well not, right? I, I don't get to do this. I'm so thankful that some people are doing it, but I don't get to do it. But I think that what you're talking about is a theological engagement for everyone. For those with the least amount of capacity, how would you encourage them or where would you encourage them to start? I'd say one, you're doing it more than you think. Mm. And I just want to encourage you to do more, not to do more of that, yeah. but that you are doing more than you realize. Um, I want to encourage you that I think a lot of people at Cornerstone, you know, uh, there are probably exceptions, but I think a lot of people at Cornerstone, um, you know, just uh, very specifically, I think of my wife. We've got five kids. Um, she is not someone who would consider herself academically, like, oriented. That's not something she's ever been, like, super into. Um, she does not have a lot of time. There are appointments and all, all sorts of things involved in our family life yeah. that in some ways are the same, in some ways are different than other families. Um, there's, there's not spare moments. Uh, and... I've watched her over the last several years, even with COVID with all the kids were at home, think about complicated things and struggle through them and like care about them. And in a sense, some of them were spawned by cultural issues, but theology was always right there because she wanted to engage them theologically. Mm -hmm. And she wasn't making this big divide. This like, oh, well, I guess I'll go read some theology and then I can engage. It, it, it was all of a piece to her. And that happened when she had, just, she was underwater. But she's still, I mean, you know, I don't know if she'd characterize herself that way, but I certainly would. And I think that that's the kind of example um, that I would want to give to a bunch of people who are very busy. It's like, you know what? I bet you you're already thinking about deep things. I want to encourage you more and more to think about the reality of God in light of those deep things. Not mm -hmm. just uh, what's the right answer and not just how can I stop thinking about this by, by getting a right answer. I want let let the big questions run. Mm. And, and make sure that yeah. the reality of God is that he's that you're thinking about them with him yeah. and in him. And, and, and as you see fit, you know, there's always the practical things like yeah. there are podcasts and there are, you know, there's yeah. all these there, there are audio, audio books. There's all these ways in which you can you know, engage with more content. But just content doesn't do it. It's really about are you someone who's looking at the world the way it is? And every once in a while trying to get your head back from, you know, nose to the grindstone and say, what's this grindstone about? Like, like, yeah, what, yeah, yeah. like what is all of this? And yeah. how is this, how is God pertinent to this in not just a pragmatic way, but in the fact that this is reality and this is the world he made. Yeah. So I, I, that's right off the bat. I think you're doing it. And I encourage you to do more as you learn more about God in sermons and whatever, bring that into those few seconds, minutes of thought that you have as you're doing all this other stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I hear you say in, in a lot of ways, just as you're doing what you're doing, stay theologically in, in gear. <laughs> yeah. Right. Don't like divide that out and be like, oh, I guess I can't do that. But 
all the ways that you are doing it, continue to do it. Well, you did career day. I, I think Harper was in kindergarten. This uh-huh. is a long time ago. I remember yeah. you. So it's, it's like, you know, like it's a, a fireman yeah, yeah, yeah. and like a lawyer and then Scott, the pastor. Yeah. He's coming in and, and you're supposed to leave the kids with like something they could do. Uh-huh. And it's like, what do you do as a pastor in a public school? And it's like, what do you, I don't know, uh-huh. yeah. pray the Ten Commandments or something. You can't do that. So he did an altar call. It was so it was weird. So, it was so <laughs> yeah. cool. It was crazy. But you said, um, and I thought this was brilliant. You said, never stop asking the big questions. That was that was the takeaway, and in a weird way, that's theological engagement for kindergartners and for forty-year-olds. Yeah, yep. just keep asking the big questions, and you're going to be theologically engaged. Yeah. So, finally, what about the person who hears this and does have capacity and is just like really excited and wants to do? more wants to read more wants to think more deeply like where where would you where would you yeah we got we got stuff for you and we got more coming um so i I hope that's true for a lot of people especially people who feel like they have some time or that they want to reallocate time time for something like this yeah Yeah. um i i think that uh uh we had you know first if you if you're listening to this and you haven't taken our intro classes those are theologically engaged classes yeah like that that's where you start there's baseline stuff there and you cannot do good theological engagement without knowing how to read your Bible, knowing how to pray, knowing how to grow, knowing how to do it in community, knowing how to you know, uh, uh, move, move it out into the world in mission, knowing how it relates to the various callings and roles and responsibilities you have. So our foundation classes, walking with God, walking in the world, that's, that's theological engagement. So that's not some other thing we're doing. Mm-hmm. That's theological engagement. It's, it's, it's true and right. Um, and so I really encourage you, even if you've taken them before and you don't remember them, take them again. Um, listen to the content, come discuss them in community, be, be equipped to have the tools at your disposal to be able to do more and better contemplation of God and engagement in the world. But then we're also starting, um, a cohort. Uh, so after you're through those classes, um, we're starting a, a theology cohort that will take you through, uh, a, a large book, but in, I think very manageable, a manageable pace of reading, where we'll get together and discuss uh, the different kind of topics, and so you kind of have a, a map. thousand pages a day. Yeah, that's it. It's it's very it's very it's it's quick. Uh, it, it's actually something like you have a specific number. That's I why can't I said tell it. if yeah. I, I think you I said it me to me. Yeah. I said it to be to mess with you, but you had a specific number. Right now. To, to make his actual number sound like oh oh that's, it's, that's it's about thousand. six pages a day. Oh six pa- that's nothing. Not a thousand. Oh that's yeah. way less. <laughs> <laughs> what a deal! <laughs> what a deal! And so, you know what I can do for you? <laughs> bump it down to five right, and a half. Just imagine a, th- right. a thousand pages, and then crossing it out, and underneath it, in big highlighted. Because I like your face. Six. Yes, you can go right. down to five pages. <laughs> so that that's something we're doing, and we're also trying to put together. You know, we're going to keep our um, our the cornerstone book discussions yeah. alive. A, c- a couple are coming this fall. Those are all various ways of understanding theological engagement. Like we're just trying to continue to. And look, your community group does this. Like, th- there's ways in which thinking about the big questions, as you try and process through sermons and ask about what God's really like, and not just use those to try and get a slightly better week, um, but really go, what what is God like, and who is He, and how do I engage with Him, and how do, how does that mean I engage with you people around me in my community group, and like that's all. These are all means of theological engagement. So please don't disparage these kind of ordinary means that we have that are probably some of the best most formative means 
Um, but nevertheless, we're trying to constantly come, and I have a bunch of other ideas that I won't say yet, mm. um, of ways that we can be a church that uh, does more of this. Because I think that for a lot of people here, and if, if you're even mildly interested in this, um, what you're going to notice is that already at Cornerstone, you felt like, oh, yeah, I feel like, I feel like this is kind of happening. Like, like I, you know, in, in the teaching and in my engagement with people, like this is kind of a, yeah, this is really happening at Cornerstone. And the minute you see it's happening, and if you're even slightly excited by it or, or, or kind of enamored with it or you find it doing good things in your life, you're almost certainly realizing that because most people are, haven't grown up at Cornerstone mm-hmm. and have grown up in a whole slew, slew of different places. At least some of you are noticing, man, I, I feel like I have these giant holes, these mm. gaps. These, you know, I, I kind of thought that Jesus was the first thing that God made. Mm. Wait, is that wrong? Like, oh, man. Like, like, and so you're, which I don't blame you, you know, like, like we're here to help. We're here to, we're here to shore that stuff up for you and not just make you feel bad. You didn't know the right answer, but show you why it's beautiful. That's not true. And how, how to begin to learn and be fluent in that yourself. Um, we're a place where we're going to try and continually shore up those things, the, the, the holes in the knowledge, the gaps that you might find yourself experiencing. Like, I don't really know anything about that. Well, you know what? We have 2,000 years of really amazing Christian <laughs> reflection yeah. on a really beautiful Bible that God gave us and spoke to us and on Jesus Christ, the Word incarnate. And, and that's the kind of thing that we want you to be able to be more and more excited about is that you're only going to experience more and more of that just by being here. So we have opportunities, but we also have this community and the yeah. direction we're moving in. And it, so it's a really beautiful thing. And I think just by being here and by engaging in those as you're able you're going to find yourself, I think, more and more excited. And maybe the best thing and the last thing, you're, God will be bigger to you when you do this. Hmm. People who are not theologically engaged at all say God is big because it's the right answer. But in, in practice, in experience, he's actually rather small. It's people who sit and stare at scripture and the, and the the meaning of some of these things what is what does it mean that god is father son and spirit what does it mean that the son is eternally begotten from the father what is it we can go i can go for a long time here but what what, what is what is it what does it mean that god is creator and everything else is creation and how mm. do you get pa- into what does it mean to see god what mm. what, what is ahead of us what who is the one that lives inside of us? What does that mean? The more you do that, the bigger God becomes to you, not because he grew, but because you began to realize how much more there was to him than you saw. Mm-hmm. And there's just nothing more formative than being humbled by the size and mystery of the mm-hmm. God who actually exists. Mm-hmm. That then, you know, I can't give you, I can't draw you a direct line to how that's going to help you with, I don't know, your anger problem or you know the struggles you're having at work or whatever but i tell you it'll make you different Mm. and you're going to handle life and live life differently as a a person differently formed because you've stood before a god that you've seen as bigger than you saw before Mm. so be here with us and you're going to experience that and as you have opportunity take more advantage to do more of that kind of staring yeah well that's why i appreciate conversations like this so much i think it's like you're exactly right that the way we grow in this is by continuing to have these conversations, not just continuing to ask the big questions, but continuing to uh, ask them of one another and together in community wrestling through. And um, I'm thankful to the impact that's had on my life and faith and understanding of God from the two of you. 
and thankful for the ways that it continues to to sharpen our church in these conversations uh, will going forward so thank you guys thanks for the time we, we could keep going for hours and hours but it's been over an hour so we need to stop yeah i mean it's it's interesting because most of the time our podcast towards the end they get a little you know the content gets a little squishy you know like we just like a uh this is like we ended on good stuff, so it's yeah, great. Yeah, we should end now before it gets squished. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks you, for listening. Five more minutes of banter. That's everybody. right. <laughs> we love you too much to do that to you, and we will see you on Sunday.